Our text for today is from the book of Genesis, our first reading, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26, 27, and 28. I do encourage you, open up God's Word. If you have a worship folder, if there's a Bible near you, Genesis chapter 1 should not surprise you to learn is on page 1 of our church Bibles. And as you open up God's word today, we open up with a word of prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would be with the one who teaches and proclaims, and with all of us who are learning and growing in grace, I pray today... Father, Son, and Spirit, that we would see how much our lives matter to you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to exist as a human being in this world? Now, if you're here last week, you might remember on Pentecost, I opened that sermon with the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ as someone who has the very Spirit of God upon you, upon us? Last week we talked about how our bodies are literally temples of God in this world and that God has used us and chooses us as his people, as Christians, to shine his light into this troubled world. This week... The question that is before us, we take a couple of steps backwards, not just what does it mean to be a Christian or what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, but stepping further back, what does it mean to be human? A human being. It's a big question. In order to answer that question, earlier this week I consulted that repository of all great wisdom and knowledge and truth, the internet. Google, and I literally typed into the search engine, what does it mean to be human? And the first thing that popped up, the very first website was the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, a channel called BBC Earth. They have lots of wonderful documentaries on biology and nature. And there was a documentary series that they were promoting called Being human. And as I looked at the description of this documentary series, this website, and read it, uh, reading their description of the series, uh, this is what I saw, and you can advance the slide, that it said this, as we discover more about reality, and the reality that they mean there is that we came from nothing and we're going to nothing, that we're truly accidents of time and chance. As we discover more about reality, we continue our ascent into insignificance. 
becoming a vanishing footnote in space and time, a speck of dust in the vastness of the universe. But to be human is to be at the center of our own universe, to experience life in all of its colors and all of its potential. And I found this to be a fascinating statement, which I think really captures the zeitgeist, the spirit of the secular age in which we live. And I also find it, do you see there's some confusion here? And perhaps some contradiction. It says, as we discover more about reality again, that we came from nothing, that somehow there was once truly nothing, big question mark, still cannot be answered how everything came out of nothing, but that human existence is just a product of a long amount of time and chance accidental occurrences. And because that is true, we continue our sin, it says, into insignificance, and we're described here as a speck of dust on the vastness of the universe. But to be human is to be at the center of our own universe. What does it mean to be the center of our universe? Where there is no God, then we need to become our own gods. To be the center of our own universe means you're the God of a universe of one, yourself. To be the center of your own universe means you define yourself, you create your own truth, you decide what is true or not true, you decide what is right or wrong. You somehow out of the nothingness within you are to create everything that you are. It looks like freedom and it looks like liberation. It's actually crushing. But then, because that is a little bit overwhelming, they wrap up this sentence with some very nice language to experience life in all of its colors and all of its potential. Life is so full of potential. But wait a second, you've just described us as insignificant specks of dust in the vastness of the universe. Yes, but you are insignificant specks of dust with lots of potential. Do you see some tension? Here. What I want us to do is to kind of keep this secular view of what it means to be a human. As we contrast that to what we see revealed to us here in this account of our creation from Genesis chapter 1, and we can advance to the next slide. Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Just this first sentence, which says, God said in this moment of creation, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And did you notice the grammar there? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is the one God, the singular God, but speaking of himself, how? 
as a plurality. Let us make man in our image. Now, some people have suggested that perhaps this is God speaking like Queen Victoria, using the royal we. We are not amused. And perhaps that is so. There are other scholars who look at this, let us make man in our image after our likeness, that here on the very first page of the Bible, we already see God speaking of himself as a vastly complex form of being, that there is a multiplicity or plurality within the one single God. Already a hint of the triune God. Of course, as God would reveal himself further along in scriptures, and there we saw in our gospel reading the baptism of Jesus, all three persons of the Godhead of the Trinity, we hear the voice of God the Father, of course, there's God the Son, in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit who descends like a dove. One God, but three persons. As I say so often, if God is who we say he is and he is so transcendent and amazing, it makes sense that God wouldn't always make sense to us. We're one being and one person. It makes sense that God would be much more complex, one being but three persons. But do we see what this means for our lives? as a starting point. What is at the very center, the foundation of all things, of all reality, ultimate reality? What's at the heart of it all? From a secular view, there's mass and energy, there's matter, in the physical universe and there's molecules and atoms and quarks and whatever is inside of a quark and at the essence of all things the foundation of all things simply is the physical stuff there's physics there's matter but from the biblical perspective the biblical worldview one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is at the core? What is at the heart, the center? What is ultimate reality? Is God. And within God, there is what? A community. There is relationships. That what is at the core and the center and the foundation, ultimate reality is Love. You see what a completely different starting place that is. The core of all of life is community, is relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father pouring His love into the Son. The Son pouring His love into the Father. Father and Son into the Holy Spirit. At the heart of all of reality, it's love. And we, you, were made in the image of that God. What does that mean? First of all, what does it mean to be human? It means you were made for love. Made for relationships. 
to be in community. Well, that's a good question. What is love? Well, in order to answer that question, I again return to the repository of all great knowledge and wisdom in all of the world called Google. And I entered into the search bar, what is love? And one of the pages that came up was from the National Library of Medicine, and we can see that quote. This is what it says, the biology of love originates in the primitive parts of the brain, the emotional core of the human nervous system that evolved long before the cerebral cortex. The brain of a human, quote-unquote, in love is flooded with sensations often transmitted by the vagus nerve, creating much of what we experience as emotion. Now, boiling it all down, what is this saying? It's saying that love is really an illusion. Love is almost like a computer program, or if you've done any coding or programming, you know it's just sort of the system that's running, that's operating behind the thing. It means you are a biochemical machine. And it means that when I kneel down by my daughter's bedside and I pray with her at night and we read stories and we cuddle together and I tuck her in and I give her a little kiss on her forehead and I'm overwhelmed with that love that I have for my child. That's the vagus nerve. <laughs> I don't really know what that is, full disclosure. And look, I don't have any doubt, of course we're biological or physical beings. Of course there's chemicals and the vagus nerve and these things that are working within us. But is that all that love is? Is there nothing more to us ultimately as human beings than just the physical and the biology and the chemistry? Specks of dust on the vastness of the universe. Again, we see the contrast. And we can move on to the next slide. As we look at verse 27, because I think this all begs the question, why would God create human beings in the first place? What does it mean to be human, made in the image of God? Why does he create human beings to begin with? And some have suggested, well, there's God in the vastness of the nothingness, and there's only God that exists, and God was lonely. But to say that God was lonely would mean to say that God was missing something or lacking something, and we would never say that of God. And remember, God is not just a static God, an uncaused first God, some sort of Greek philosophical concept of God, but rather he is a dynamic God, one God but three persons, the Father pouring his love into the Son, the Son pouring his infinite love into the Father, Father and Son pouring their infinite love into the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit pouring infinite love into Father and Son. So there at the very core and the center of all things again is that love. God wasn't lonely, but 
It's more of an image of love that is overflowing. And out of great kindness and love, God designed special creatures made in a very special way in His image, in His own likeness, so that these creatures called human beings could experience that love, could be brought into that circle dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think we see that in verse 27 and then in verse 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, and God blessed them. And we can read that really quick. And God blessed them. And we can say, God bless you. You sneeze, God bless you. God blessed them them what does that mean well we think of the words of the benediction the common one we use here is called the ironic benediction from Moses brother Aaron the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you the Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his shalom his peace. To be blessed by God means to be brought into relationship with Him. This is the language of turning His face. That's an Old Testament Hebrew language. God looking at you and turning His face towards you, His favor and His love. It is to be in deep intimacy with Him. And the shalom is the wholeness. It's what we were made for, designed for. And to be made in the image of God, to be a fully human being, means we can know God in a way that you know, our pets at home simply cannot. It is this blessing of God, and this is what we lost with sin. And the whole story of the Bible is God working through human beings and working through human history in order to restore his blessing upon his people. Until, as Paul says in our second reading, in the fullness of time, at just the right time, this second person of the Trinity, God the Son, becomes a human being, takes on human flesh, and on the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, receives not a benediction, but a what? A malediction. He receives not a blessing, but a curse. May the Lord curse you and forsake you. May he turn his back on you and may you receive his justice and his judgment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of that infinite love that the Father had been pouring into the heart of the Son since before all eternity and it dries up on the cross. Jesus cries out, I thirst and God does that so that you might receive his blessing that he might look upon you bless you and keep you and what it means then to be fully human to be a human being is that we know God we're in relationship and it means we worship him that he is our all in all that we were meant 
and made for so much more. Again, the secular view, we are specks of dust on the vastness of the universe, and we become the center of our own universe. You know, it'd be a good thing to do today after, you know, go, go to Chili's, have some chips and salsa and a quesadilla explosion salad or whatever you like to order and maybe a nice frosty beverage, Kurt Becker, whatever you want. <laughs> and then go home and really try to be the center of your own universe. And you can look in the mirror and you can say, you are awesome, you are wonderful, and you can give yourself a big old hug and you'll see how empty it leaves you. We were meant for so much more and all the success in the world, we can pour it in and it'll never be enough. All the money in the world will never be enough. All the love in the world will never be enough. All of the applause and acclaim will never be enough. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's what it means to be human. It's what we were made for. And then finally, verse 28. What does it mean to be a human being made in God's image? It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and then verse 31 and God saw everything he had made and behold it was very good very good it says we are to fill the earth subdue it and have dominion over every single creature upon the earth now this doesn't mean dominate and destroy this doesn't mean domination over the world. The Hebrew here, the language is of gentleness and of caring, like God the Father caring for us. We are his agents to really care for this world. Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> now there's my buddy. His name's Edge. He's a golden retriever, but he doesn't retrieve. <laughs> He's a golden, I'm just going to take it. Uh, this was me. Uh, this is Easter. This was my Easter. Laid up in bed with a bad back. And, and I woke up at 1.30 this morning with a terrible back, and I was just about to preach from that chair. It was like, uh, and, but I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay right now. But Edge, he's never allowed on the bed. But he, could t he knew something was wrong. And so he was there by my side, and uh, we love our pets. We love animals. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, have you ever been to Cheyenne Mountain Zoo? Feeding the giraffes. Oh my, I've lived there for 10 years. I just did it. That is amazing. These majestic Creatures, I was blown away. We love this earth. We love our pets, animals. We can go to the next slide. But what this is saying here, 
is that human beings are set apart. That human life is special and sacred. And again, the secular view would say that we are a footnote of space and time. Again, that speck of dust. And it would say that we are a grown-up germ, that we're just a complex form of animal life. What a terrible lie. Human life made in the image of God is set apart, it is sacred, and it means that all human life matters to God. That means people with mental or physical handicaps or mental illness or the person who's lying on the sidewalk on the side of the road and you might just dismiss them, you might drive, you might look at them and almost think of them as somewhat less than human. They are and their life matters. They have infinite value. It means the aged and the infirmed. If you've ever been in a memory ward in a nursing home, assisted living, and many of you, I'm sure, have had loved ones there, and they're sitting there, and the world would say they have no usefulness, they have no purpose, they have no utility. And we see them and say they have infinite value and worth made in the image of God. And of course, this also means those human beings who have not yet been born, who have yet to take their first breath. Unfortunately, this issue has become so political. I never have and I never will speak about politics. It is not my job but it is my calling to speak God's truth from his word. As we look at Psalm 139, I can't get away from these words. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Do you know what that language, that's the language of blessing. May the Lord look upon you with his favor, that even when you were in your mother's womb, God looked upon you with his favor and knew you and loved you, and you and your life was of infinite value to him. We were not hidden from him. We were fearfully and wonderfully made, not accidents. How have we devalued human life? 
and the sacredness of human life from the beginning of life to the end. You can go to the next slide. What does it mean to be a human? A speck of dust, an accident, a random chance to be made in the image of God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to experience love, to know love, to be in relationships with one another, to know Him, to worship Him, to be filled by Him. And to know that your life matters so much to Him that He gave His life for you. To God alone, not us, not human beings, but to God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all the glory. Amen.